everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Well, welcome. Today I have a dear friend with me. Her name is Anne Bradley, and she is a faithful woman of God. She's a Bible teacher in our women's ministry. She has been a wife for 47 years, mother of four, and grandmother of nine. And she has studied and taught on our subject today, which is basically feminism's corrupting influence in the world and some in the church. And we are seeing the inversion of God's design in part as part of the landscape of the last days. And she has studied this topic and has much to say, as do I, always have too much to say and too little time. But we're going to talk about this this topic and we're going to move through many things like some biblical examples, what's happening politically and the fallout of that, what it means for a country when the men are weak and the women, some of them, are becoming more masculine and in positions of power and how the rise of women in power in that way is a sign of the last days. The roles of men and women seem to be so twisted and perverted and inverted lately, and we're going to talk about God's design and how all of this is working in relation to the judgment associated with that. But first, we are going to hear from Anne and her testimony, because I always love to hear whenever I have a guest, tell me your testimony and how God brought you to himself. Well, thank you. I First of all, I want to say thanks for even letting me get to talk to you on this subject because it is a subject that resonates with me. Um, I, I find it fascinating how feminism has infected the church and our lives and even our own thinking. And that's a good word for it. Yeah, it definitely has. But... Um, Back to your question about me, I became a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, when I was eight years old. And it took me a really long time, truthfully, to figure out, you know, I used to just say, people would say, give me your testimony, and I would give the obvious version. I was sitting in junior church, and our little leader, his name was Max Myers, God rest his soul, because <laughs> I, I'll never forget him, he presented the gospel every week and one week it just took but it was really the um, there was a picture in the front of this teeny teeny little kids church chapel that we went to junior church and um, it was a picture of Jesus knocking on a door with uh, Revelation 320 you know standing at the door and knock right knocking at the door of our heart and I remember one day it just I was like I I I sin. I need Jesus. And I, it it made sense to me. And I remember specifically as an eight-year-old asking the Lord to come into my heart. And, um, and I remember he said, now once he's in, he's never going to leave you. And like I literally took the little key, clicked my heart closed, and <laughs> threw it. <laughs> we did that together. But it that little I like the symbolism of that though honestly yeah, yeah truly it's it stuck with me but it took many years many many years to understand how God had called me it wasn't just that I came he had prepared me from the day I was born because I came from a lovely family large loving family that we went to church 
but my mother was an alcoholic and that was our little secret and we um i loved her to death i would never disparage her i actually thank the lord for her life because it was her alcoholism and my dad's response to her alcoholism i won't go into all of that but let's just say by the time i was eight years old i needed security i needed um i needed that those loving arms of my savior around me and i knew it not that my parents weren't loving i, I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression of my parents yet he used their weaknesses to draw me to him at a very young age so now as an adult i can see how god just put me in the right family put me in the right circumstances and all those things that could have if god had not intervened sent me on a really ugly path he plucked me up and saved me out of that at a very young age for which i'm very grateful as am i <laughs> so that's my story we're going to talk about feminism we're going to do a little bit of history regarding the topic of feminism it is a broad topic there's so many things to say i do want to start with a woman today who is known as an atheist but she also called herself a militant feminist and a lot of times those two things go together and depending how old you are you might remember the name Madeleine Murray O'Hare. She founded the American Atheists and served as its president until 1986. And I didn't know this, but recently there was even a Netflix movie on her life a few years ago. And she is best known for Murray versus Kurtlet, the lawsuit that challenged the policy of mandatory prayers and Bible reading in Baltimore public schools. And she named her son as the plaintiff, but this is in God's perfect providence and humor. Later, he eventually became a Baptist minister while she just spiraled further and further down her atheistic dark path. But she was, she won that court case. Of course, that became extremely famous. And it was the, the case that sort of tipped the scales. So we in part have her to thank for this, uh, time in our history where God has been pushed out of public schools completely. I mean, to think there was actually a time when you could pray in the public mm -hmm. school system mm -hmm. and you read the Bible in, in the public school system, incredible. And she also brought many more cases to court. She challenged the White House Weekly Religious Services, the crew of the Apollo 8, reading out of the book of Genesis, In God We Trust on US Currency, the nativity scene at the Capitol building in Texas, and on it goes. And the fact that this was all done by a militant, feminist, atheistic woman to me is very, very telling. She was so vile that her son claimed that when he was a boy, due to his mother's cursing mouth, they would be asked to leave restaurants and truck stops. And people who interviewed her said she was the most horrible, worst person they had ever met, which is just sad, incredibly sad, but incredibly true. And so. I bring that up because there is this atheistic thread to feminism, which can be traced easily if you take a look at it. It's not that hard to find. And so speaking of that, Anne, talk, talk to us about some of the history of feminism. Well, I think I think you can go back to creation, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, you can go back to Adam and Eve, you know, in um, 
the first chapters of Genesis, particularly once you get to chapter three, when, you know, we have, well, in chapters two, we have the woman being created out of man because, and that was very good. It was very good. Yes, the Bible says that's good. That's very good. The roles, and we'll talk more about their roles in a, probably in a few minutes, but we're talking about the history of feminism now. Eve was truly the first feminist that wanted to usurp authority. And, you know, this serpent comes along and he, he, sees, he sees the one that he's going to go after. It wasn't Adam, it was Eve. And he lied to her. And the funny thing is, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The same tactics that were used on Eve, mixing some truth in with her desire for self-autonomy, right? Mixing those together created us where we are now. That was the first time that somebody, it was this contention between God and human beings that really began because she wanted she didn't want somebody to tell her what to do. Right. Really, it's it, nothing has changed. Right. And so, <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Uh, we still battle that. <laughs> we still battle that. Yes, exactly. Um, there were a lot of waves. If we fast forward, there are so many examples, which I think we're going to discuss in a little bit Old Testament examples right. of women who were leaders um, good and bad, right? <laughs> for good or for bad. But I think in more recent history, when we talk about feminism, uh, where it really actually got a title and a name, really, you can go back, but it really, the most most people agree that it began with a woman named Simone de Beauvoir, and mm-hmm. she was from France. She was a French. She was a political activist. She was a writer. She was a theorist. And in 1949, she wrote a famous book called The Second Sex. This was ahead of her time. Um, people hadn't really really thought of it that way, of women using their sexuality as a dividing thing between people. I mean, there's always been the battle of the sexes, so to speak. but. She brought it out in a whole new light. And her book was actually quite controversial. Um, She was the first of the modern feminists, so they say. That's what most experts will say. She was very influential. Then, fast forward um, to about 1963, along comes Betty Friedan, Mm -hmm. who is probably an even more famous and more well-known feminist. She was an American. And she was an activist as well. She wrote the book, The Feminist Mystique. And um, she is largely credited for starting the second wave. Uh, If Simone de Beauvoir started the first wave of feminism, in which in that came the, um, the woman, we got the right to vote. A lot of that stuff came around her time. Then came Betty Friedan. So she, though, took it even further. The second wave, this began in the 60s and the 70s, and she spent her life to establish women's equality. Now, this has always been a theme, equality, um, which is still a theme. <laughs> it's yep. still a theme in, uh, in 
feminist circles, but even in the church, there's this whole uh, kind of debate within the church. Are you an egalitarian or are you a complementarian? Um, which we will define probably in a few minutes, but this whole thought has kind of woven its way into the church because it's woven its way into our entire way of thinking. So she, um, she started the National Woman's Political Caucus. So she started making it a political thing and trying to get it into policy, political policy and social policies. Uh, she almost, I mean, she also organized the Women's Strike for Equality in 1970. And this is what really made the feminist movement in America very popular. It, it got the attention it needed at that time. It's very interesting um, to me when I was studying this stuff a couple years ago, she looked at, I, it was Betty Friedan that she got interested in this when she was in college. And she noticed that um, people were not as interested in feminism as she was. So she thought, well, how could I get people to really um, embrace it? Embrace this. She took a she took a poll, and she found out that a lot of people, a lot of women, were very discontent, very very discontent. They weren't happy in their roles as mothers. They weren't happy in their roles as homemakers. They were not happy people. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we know where that stems from. <laughs> we know. Yeah. The Bible is clear, right, that we are all sinners and we all have a need for Christ to redeem our souls and we long for that. We're looking for Christ to fill that void in our lives. Every human being is. And she was looking for something too. She just didn't want to look outside of herself. So, but interestingly enough, she looked at Mao, 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 Mao Zedong. Yeah, Mao Zedong. And oh, he, wonderful! Yes. The communist well, the dictator. Well, she looked at how he got. Not that she was. Um, well, there's a lot of similarities, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's a lot of commonality between the anti-God and the the self uh, motivated the self-motivation between feminism and other things, but she stole from their way of infiltrating the their ideas into the whole of society and by having little focus groups. In China, um, in order to get communism more popular, they would go to particularly women, because <laughs> women like to form our little groups and stuff and talk, and would get them to talk about their discontent with the the you know in their case it was the um, economy and the social structure and economy but so she it worked well for them it it caused a complete uprising and a change of an entire country she thought well if it worked for them that'll work for feminism too so she started arranging these Feminists started arranging these little focus groups all over the country. And the, the goal of these little focus groups, and they were just in people's living rooms, and the, but the goal was to create an atmosphere of discontent. Because they thought, well, these poor, stupid women 
are discontent, but they don't even know why they're discontent. So, so we're we, going to lead them as to the reasons why yes, they're discontent. We're yep. going to help them yep. to understand mm -hmm. why they're discontent. They're discontent from their perspective. Women were discontent not because they were sinners, not because they were um, living lives that weren't pleasing to God and they were unfulfilled, but they were discontent because... They were oppressed by men and they were specifically oppressed in their marriages and in their family. They were slaves and enslaved to this system that men had set up to keep them enslaved and to keep men above them. Right. And I think they called it, or she called it, maybe she coined the term, the housewife trap. Right. Right. It was, um, it was very um, derogatory. In fact, it was somewhere after this that there was never we we talk about patriarchy now there was never even they didn't refer to the patriarchy until the feminist movement grabbed onto that and they thought we have a we have a problem what can we call this problem oh the problem is the authority of men let's call that the patriarchy so that that term even came out of feminism so betty friedan did a lot to popularize <laughs> the movement. So then comes Gloria Steinem, who was the polar opposite in looks right. and approach. Right. Her belief, her core beliefs were the same, but she believed in using her, for lack of a better term, femininity, her womanly ways to get what she wanted. So the whole immorality and this, the whole uh, emphasis on sex and the freedom of that, all three of these women were all about freedom to have sexual relationships with anybody at any time and not be confined to a husband, for heaven's sakes. Everything that God set up in Genesis, they threw out the window. That That's, he set up as good, they threw out the window. Yes, right. as bad. Mm -hmm. And they called it bad. They called it bad. Mm -hmm. God said the, the relationship between man and woman was very good. It's no surprise that Satan would go right for that right. and attack that and say, no, that's not very good. That's very bad. Right. That is very bad. So, and that's what these women did. Um, she, uh, Gloria Steinem, who is still alive today, she uh, still continues to be a very outspoken feminist. In 2013, she was honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom because she had freed us women. Ironically, all this freedom that we are getting through feminism has created more despair, more suicide, more sexual abuse. I mean... Exactly. Exactly. More, more, it had the opposite effects. Yes, because we have removed ourselves from the protection of the men who love us. Right, right. And said, we don't need you. Right. Well, and I always say <laughs> that what happened with the whole feminist movement is that now you're expected to, if you get married, you're expected to be a full-time wife, a full-time mother, and then work outside the home right. full-time. And then you wonder why women can barely keep their eyes open, they're so tired, and need Xanax to get through the day. Yeah. And you know what? It's because y'all created a monster 
And back in the day when I was a feminist, before I got saved, I wish I could have gone back to myself and slapped myself because I needed to be slapped <laughs> because I was pushing all of these ridiculous ideas too. I bought the lie and nobody told me back then. I mean, it's my own, I, I take full responsibility, but really somebody needed to tell me, you have no idea what you're doing and what you're putting women through. Now you've just heaped on, talk about more burdens than you can mm -hmm. bear. You've heaped it all on their shoulders and you think that somehow that is freedom? I'm sorry, that is completely the opposite. Right. I, I think that it is, um, it's just one of the great lies of Satan, yep. who can do nothing but lie. He is the great deceiver. And he's deceived an entire generations, not just one generation, generations of women into thinking that they're free when they throw out God's best plan. This was just a side note. Um, I, I stayed home with my children. I raised them, and um, but I did take jobs here and there. If I I got offered jobs strangely <laughs> here and there, and I'd say, oh sure, I could use the money for something. So I remember one time I took this position, and I was working in a doctor's office, just doing clerical work. It was just like a two month project or something, and I was sitting between two women who had, they were career, both divorced with kids, and they had um, a very, they had to work because they were divorced, they were raising their families. They were so burdened and they were so stressed out. And when I had worked there maybe two or three weeks, she we had talked enough on our breaks and things. We had gotten to know each other a little bit. And she says, you surprised me. And I said, what do you mean I surprise you? And she said, she said, well, you, you've stayed home with your kids all these years. And she said, I, I just thought you'd be different than you are. And I, I said, well, how do you mean? Like, how would I be different? And she said, well, she said, we, we call you. And she's, I, said, I said, who are the we? And she said, the we are all of us working moms. And we call all of you non-working moms the tree moms. And I I was puzzled. I said, what? I, the look on your face, you're puzzled. I said, what do you mean, the tree moms? And she said, she says, we saw all of you moms at the drop-off to the elementary school with your ponytails in your hair and your coffee cup in your hands, standing under the trees, waving goodbye to your children as we drove through practically threw our kids out the door so that we could get to work on time. And she said, we hated you. And she said, we didn't say nice things about you ladies. She goes, if I'm going to be really honest with you, I hated the tree moms because I was jealous of the tree moms. Exactly. She said, you had what I wanted, but I couldn't have because I had gotten myself on this path. Right. And that's what I'm talking about, the, the path, exactly. the counsel of the wicked or the counsel of the godly. You know, you really choose God. I mean, right. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> choose God because God knows what he's talking about. And there's reasons for right. everything he has done. Um, and it's good. It's very good. Our right. differences between us and men are specific, which... You know, I don't know if this would be a good time to get into the complimentary. <laughs> sure, talk about that. Yes. Well, I think that 
we have to be really careful to define our terms really specifically because even the word feminism, you know, if you, that's a very, very squiggly term. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And when I was looking into, you know, because I was hearing, you know, complementarianism years ago and egalitarianism, I'm like, well, which one am I? <laughs> which one am I? I don't know. So I looked him up. I thought, oh, I'm, it's obvious which one I am. But we have to understand that a complementarian is a person who believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. So it's, it's really about Christ. It's not so much about us. Yes, we can complement each other and specifically emphasize complement, not compliment. Compliment is where you're, you know, you say good things about, you praise, you know, my very presence is a praise to you. You know, you, no, that's not the way we complement our husbands. We bring out attributes of Christ that he could not possibly bring out on his own. And he does as well for us. Um, we are equal, equally created by God yes. with completely different traits that both reflect, him. reflect Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's about Jesus Christ. It's mm -hmm. about complementing him. him, the whole of Christ. Another interesting thing about the even the term gender, um, that is relatively new, been thrown into. It used to be called, we used to call, be, say men and women were different sexes, right? right? Um, sexes, there are only two categories of sexes. There's male and female, into which humans and most other living things, almost every other living thing, are divided on the basis of their reproductive functions. And those are the sexes that God created. Gender is different. So all this gender talk that we're hearing, that's specific. They have chosen that term because they can't argue that we're different sexes. They can't, that can't be argued. That's biology. But they can argue gender because of the definition of gender. Because gender is that either of the two sexes, which are male and female, especially when considered with reference to social and cultural differences rather than biological ones. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That they would, they're very deliberate. We don't know how we're being played by the um, intentionality of their wordage and the way they convert and convolute terms that we have always thought meant something. And all of a sudden, they don't mean that at all anymore. And we we know that's true in the last year or so. We've really seen that. But the term gender is, is it's just more broadly used to denote a range of identities in these days that don't correspond or establish at all the idea of male and female. So gender is not really the appropriate word to use. It's more of a social construct than it is a biological, but they use them interchangeably. Isn't that incorrectly? Even to get our language to change yes. from being used to saying male and female. Yes. Now what we see is that people are now used to saying 
gender as right. opposed to male and female. Right. So it's even changing that in our vocabulary. Right. Right. And then we wonder why we're so confused. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, but as we've heard said from so many people, you know, this is Romans. It is Romans. Romans it is the one. end of Romans chapter one. Right. Which really find gets ourselves. us to where you and I find ourselves always looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> it's got to be soon. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as we start talking about this stuff, you know. Yeah, because, it, I mean, I... Can you think of anything more insane no. than not knowing if you're a man or a woman? Right. That's new. Right. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> and no psychiatrist ever would sit across, at least back in the day, you know, would sit across from a person who said, I believe that I am Captain Quig, <laughs> and said, oh, really? You know, maybe they would have said, oh, really, tell me about that. But the whole idea for the psychiatrist would have tried to get this person and reality, their thoughts and reality to meld and to mesh and for them to understand, in fact, they are not Captain Quig or the Queen of England. They are, in fact, whoever they are. And so that's what a psychiatrist would do because they're trying to help this person not to be insane. Mm -hmm. Today, you can say, I'm confused or I'm I'm a woman, even though you're a man, you're getting kudos for that. And you are being given political clout and positions in government <laughs> simply by the fact that you want to be the opposite sex. So there, there we are. Right. Well, and you know what? That begs the question. We, we know where we are now, but going backtracking a little bit, how in the world did we get here? Because it's been a long process, but it's been a deliberate process. And you, know, you, you were talking as at the beginning about uh, atheism being a part of feminism, which indeed it is. But even beyond that, the occult is actually very significantly involved in feminism. It has been, you can go back to 2,000 years and find that involved in women and the rise to power, um, autonomy and all that, always tied to the occult. But uh, let's go back for a second to the late 1960s where the, they introduced this whole idea of the patriarchy, that that was our problem. The patriarchy is our problem. Patriarchy came from two Greek words, pater, which means father, and archi, which means rule. So it means father rule or men ruling women. Aha, they said. Okay, wow. The rule of the father in families specifically and in the society in general, this has to be the cause for women's discontent. This has to, it's not sin. It's not personal sin. It has to be societal and men have done this to us. So women needed to be freed, they determined. So there was a, a women's conference in 1971, and they they created, like we have a Declaration of Independence, they had a Declaration of Feminism in 1971, and that they believed, and they stated in their declaration that this freedom that they were going after could not be won without the abolition of marriage. 
So they had that in the declaration that that yes. was part of it. Which that is ironically hmm. still, you know, talk about, we talk a lot about intersectionality these days. That is part and parcel with a lot of different <laughs> movements. Sure. You know, critical race theory, critical theory, you name it. Right. Like that's the, the destruction of the family is and marriage very is very important to their cause. Very important because it's the structure God set up. Sure. So it's it, we know who's ruling it. It's it's not individual. It's, it's Satan right. himself. But so in this in their uh, Declaration of Feminism, it stated this. They said it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not live individually with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. We must go back to ancient female religions like witchcraft. That wow. was in their Declaration of Freedom. So there's a close connection. Right. Now, am I saying that all women who call themselves feminists are witches? No, I am not saying that. But I think it's so important for women to understand the roots of the all of roots this. Of this. If, they're, if they're following something and claiming to be Christians, because this podcast is, is focused on Christian sure. women who would, who would call themselves Christian, we need to point out to them, you better know what you're following. Because feminism is not a biblical concept right. at all. So uh, I think that that's really important. Uh, Gloria Steinem said in 2012, once again, Gloria Steinem, she claimed that being a humanist feminist, which she is, she says it is about rejecting a God who looks like the ruling class. Wow. So she was a God rejecter. She Dan was, was well. a God rejecter. Mm -hmm. And Madeline Murray O'Hare was a God hater on steroids mm -hmm. <laughs> so i think well i think that i think that really she was just a more uh a louder voice mm -hmm. a louder voice i i think they're all god haters right to tell you the truth but some you know some of us are able to couch our words a little more gently than others exactly <laughs> so so you have to this philosophy of feminism as we said has been around since eve the people that study feminism, they they categorize it in the waves. Of, there's the first, second, third. Some even say there's a fourth wave that we're in now. I don't even know what they would call that because it's it's just a deep sea of mush, I, of <laughs> sewage, raw sewage. <laughs> but um, it was the third wave of feminism that started in the 90s. And this was this really postmodern thinking that we're talking about now. It was that total deconstruction of the family, of the body, of the gender, of sexuality. Um, and it was this, we were assaulted with it all the time. How you dress is up to you. Right. There's no right or wrong way to do it. How you act, it's up to you. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Feminism is all about autonomy. It's a very selfish, self your, your God is self. self. Mm -hmm. You have replaced the God of the universe with worshiping self. self. Um, Betty Friedan had taught, and I quote, we women need and can trust no other authority than our own personal truth. And this had, has truly taken hold of our society. And my husband always says to me these days, you know, 
things change. Truth changes so quickly. When you believe this, that you don't know or need anything other than your own personal truth, well then that's where we end up right where we are right now that's where we are right now with self-referencing yes and my husband calls that the newest is truest you know whatever is the newest thing down the pike is the most true thing in the society but that's going to change tomorrow right and it, it that's no that is no foundation in which a society or a human being can stand and that's why the entire society is sinking so quickly that I don't know. I guess we're up to our, at least up to our chest in the quicksand yes. right before we go under right. completely. Romans, we're about there. Romans 1. Romans Right one. at work. Immorality, homosexuality. And a reprobate mind. And a reprobate mind. It's all there. Alvin Toffler, who wrote the book um, Future Shock years ago, yes. he said, he's not a Christian, he said that the feminine mystique written by um, Betty Friedan was the book that pulled the trigger on history. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So even non-Christians recognize that the feminist movement has completely altered the direction that we were going in. That's fascinating. It is fascinating when, when you understand you know, and that's why I have such a passion for this. You know, I like to think, I like to say this this topic resonates with me because, you know, I think of, when I think of the word resonate, I think of a, like a piano. And, you know, when you play the piano and those keys resonate, that's how the sound gets. And you can resonate and have a beautiful sound. And I feel like scripture for the Christian should resonate in our hearts and our souls. That is the, the thing that, that makes our hearts beat. Right. However, when you get off of scripture, it's just clanking mm-hmm. noise. Mm-hmm. It's that that resonation isn't beautiful. It's it's ugly. It is. It's clashing mm-hmm. and clamoring and actually catastrophic. So, but I it, that's why this really resonates with me. I see so many young people even Christian young people, certainly non-Christians, but even Christians who don't know how they've been sucked in by entertainment and music. Oh, music. We didn't even get to that. What about Helen Reddy? I am a woman. <laughs> Hear me. Uh, did you sing that when you were a kid? Oh, are you kidding? And I loved her outfit on, it wasn't Soul Train. I don't think that she might have been singing on Soul Train, but she had that cute little tube top with the fringe. <laughs> And but I always said that she was a little bit schizophrenic because she would do, I am woman, hear me roar. And then she also sang, that ain't no way to treat a lady. And so I thought, Helen, which is it? <laughs> right? Well, and that is, that is the problem. That is the problem. Because what they don't recognize, they as in the people that buy Satan's lies, what they don't recognize is that nobody loves women more than God. Right. Who created our roles. Right. He knows what's best for us. He loves us and he knows what is going to protect us and cause us to thrive. Exactly. And when we don't do that, we bounce around and we still want this, but get this and then want that and get that. Mm -hmm. It will never satisfy. Exactly. Because we fall deeper and deeper into sin. Right. Totally agreed. Yeah. So feminism, it isn't content 
with feminism because feminism actually what they want is androgyny and feminism assumes if you if, if you talk to a real feminist like a Gloria Steinem you would think that feminism is assuming that there's a maleness and a femaleness but with androgyny you would assume that there's neither male nor female and that is the whole goal is to eliminate God's design and purpose for man and for woman to eliminate male and female entirely they don't want equality they want elimination of the sexes which is why they changed the term to, to gender, gender. Um, because Satan hates anything that God has created that is good. Mm -hmm.